Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. Featuring a reimagined exterior with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and an interior built with robust materials and integrity, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Its durability has been tested to the extreme while the cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1123. 1123? That's my birthday! Yay! November 23rd has nothing to do with the number of this episode, though. I was just making an off-the-cuff connection, thinking about my birthday this year. Uh, What am I going to do for my birthday this year? Maybe I should think about it not in the intro, and let's get to this episode. First, let's talk about you, uh, the ID10T community, events at ID10T.com. Like Andrew, who writes, I just wanted to share with you a thing my brother made. He wrote a book called Grim Fate. Oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, Grim Fate uh, seems to be a supernatural thriller, um, and it follows the paranormal investigations of a character named Marcus Grimm. Grim Fate can be found on Amazon uh, and has been well-received by everyone who has read it so far. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing, Andrew. And uh, please tell your brother congratulations for making a thing. And then how nice of you to promote the thing uh, to anyone else who wants to promote the thing. Events at ID10T.com would be the email for that. This episode is Lisa Edelstein, who's so awesome. She, of course, I mean, if you're if you ever watched the show House, which I imagine, I feel like if you listen to this podcast, House is probably was probably in your wheel house. Um, she, of course, played Dr. Lisa Cuddy, and I got to meet her uh, a couple years back. She came on to Talking Dead because uh, she watches Walking Dead, and she's so rad. Oh my god. So unbelievably talented. I mean, a a writer and a director and an actor and an artist. And she said so many inspirational things on this podcast, just in terms of, you know, figuring out who you are and finding things that are meaningful to you and and just just doing things that uh, that I actually I listened back and I, I took some notes because, again, a lot of these podcasts are very I would say all the podcasts are kind of personal studies for me to just sort of learn from really cool people. And uh, so I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much, Lisa Edelstein. Lisa is on season three of The Kaminsky Method, which is out now on Netflix. Uh, and she also uh, was on a part of the season for Fox's 911 Lone Star, which uh, is normally Monday nights at 9 p.m. I, her episodes might have aired. And if they did, then just uh, stream it because that's what we do now. You know, when I was growing up, if you missed a thing, you just never saw it again. All right, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I did grow up in the time of cable and VCRs, but still, it is amazing that anything that we could want to see is pretty much at our fingertips. So you can watch uh, Lisa on 911 Lone Star uh, streaming. And that's it. Here it is, the episode number 1123 with Lisa Edelstein as we roll the thing. 
Initiating ID10T protocol. There you go. There's me. Oh, what's up? Yeah. Rock and roll. What a great, oh my God, what a nice background. You got some cool art. You got a, like a nice, there's like a pool in the background there. My, my home. That's my great. house. Our, 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 our homes. You mean our workplaces now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we turned, we had a little guest studio and we turned that into my room. Like I work out here. I do my work here. I do my interviews here. It's, but I'm so grateful for it because I think it really helps during uh, the lockdown to have something like this. Absolutely. I, I really think the, it, it, it's so easy to basically just shut yourself. Like when, when the world said, okay, stay home, shut down. It's all this. I feel like the emerging pride, I know some people are like, I can't fucking wait. I'm going to concerts. I'm going everywhere. No. And I think, so, I think a lot of people are going to be like, eh, you know, we'll have to really make the effort to yeah. reactivate to just being a part of society again. I really, because I didn't have food anxiety, like I, I wasn't worried about putting actual food on the table, which a lot of people were, I really just relished the quiet. Um, the, the, lack of traffic, the lack of plane, flight plans going over our heads, the yep. lack of helicopters, the, I did a lot of drawing. I did, uh, I did a lot of writing. I mean, it really, um, I learned, I learned a lot about how much I actually need that quiet time that I, I don't know that I realize as a grown up. Yeah. And I, I mean, my, my perception of you is that you're sort of this artistic supernova. Like you do a lot of stuff. Uh, I know, I know you write and I, I'm pretty sure you write plays too, correct? Uh, I do. Uh, yeah. I wrote, I wrote, wrote a musical, but okay. it counts. Just a, yeah. just a musical, yeah. just one of those, you know, <laughs> just wrote a musical, but, but even just in the sort of, you know, acting and, and you've directed as well. Yeah. I directed, uh, I directed on Girlfriend's Guide and then I directed two short films. I sent you one. Did you ever watch it? I did. It was great. I think yeah. I emailed you about it. It was yeah. like this really cool, like little thrillery piece. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was it was really fun. And then and now I'm actually slated to direct a feature that I wrote, but I can't talk about it yet because it hasn't happened yet. So as soon as it happens, I'll let you know and we can talk all about it because I think you'll no, love no, it. No, that is that is the funny thing about it's yeah, I was, who was I talking? I was talking to someone about maybe they weren't necessarily in this business, but it was we're like, aren't you excited about this thing? And I go, well, no. I mean, I feel like we're so conditioned to not get excited or talk about things because yeah. we know how hard it is to even just yeah. get something made. It's like yeah. until it's happening, when it's happening. Well, I can be excited about it. I'll probably be yeah, excited. Exactly. Exactly. Until it's happening, it's like, oh, that's interesting. Sure. Okay. Thing, <laughs> no, I would love that if that happened. Sure. <laughs> we just—you really have to. 
you know, this business is really about just like riding shotgun with rejection and disappointment in the back seat. You know what I mean? (laughs) You just got to get so used to it. And I sometimes they climb climb over and like sit on my lap. (laughs) Rejection and disappointment. Like, where are we going? We're not going anywhere, actually. We're actually not going anywhere. (laughs) Perfect. I'm like, disappointed. I'd be so excited about that. Oh my God. Great. Oh, let me flatten a tire. Make sure. Yeah. Yeah. It it is kind of interesting that, uh, you know, because I think we think about the business as being very craft oriented, right? It's artistic, it's craft. But really, I feel like the secret to the business is that it's the business part, the steeplechase. Yeah. And all of the shit that is not the thing that you actually want to do that you have to figure out how to get good at and navigate just to, just for those few minutes of the thing that you actually want to do. Yeah, it's really true. It's really true. I mean, one of the questions I got asked today was um, if you weren't an actress, what would you be? And I said, if, if a person can answer that question, they wouldn't be an actor. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's everything, and like it, it, it's not like oh, it's I, it's everything I love, but it, it, which it is, but it's also like it takes so much of you to participate in this business, no matter what angle you are coming at it creatively. It's it, it is a whole life that you are in, and there is no getting out of it. <laughs> and there's there's you can't do it halfway. I know, but this is a real opportunity for you to improv just a, 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 every time, just a different, ridiculous, you know, uh, answer. Like a lot of times when my wife Lydia and I are, you know, we'll like, we'll watch movies in our bedroom. And then if I get up to go to the bathroom, someone should go, where are you going? And I've just now, I just improvise like stupid, like I'm going to go to Reno and open an alpaca farm. Like I just, (laughs) dumb because like, where else would I be going at 10 o'clock at night? I'm probably just going to the bathroom. And so I just riff these stupid, and every time she's just like, fine, you know, it's, it's <laughs> this would be an excellent opportunity for you to, you know, I, I think I'm going to. You're right. I know. I should be more creative about it. I get, I get a little too earnest in interviews um, and I, I want to tell the truth. Um, well, you know, they that- ask me like who I want to have dinner with. I, the one thing I don't like about a lot of these these interviews is when they try to throw like surprise, clever questions at you that you would so much, you would answer so much better if you had a minute to think about them. Like (laughs) I would just be a much more interesting and compelling answer. So the last one was, who would you, who would you have dinner with? And the truth is, it's like, I want to have dinner with a person who is so smart. They could actually explain things to me, (laughs) you know, like what an interesting dinner that would be if you could understand yeah, but the problem is anyone who claims that would be lying. So how do you find? True, it's true. But I want to understand time. I want to understand like, okay, time is not linear. What does that really mean? Yeah. What does it really mean? What is gravity? What is gravity? Like, but there's a lot of those concepts that I don't even think on a on a on a real fundamental level they can sort of explain the results of some of those processes, but not necessarily exact like. I still think we're not 100% sure what mass is. You know what I mean? So it's like, how do we, how do you, and it is just that that search for, it's just that constant search for. I know, and it's really interesting. Like, where where are we at now? Like, how, the boss, what, what was it? The boss Higgins, the, the what? The Higgs boson? The Higgs boson, yes. Like, the space between 
things that are so small, like what we, we get smaller and smaller and we still can't find the smallest. Yeah. The same way we get larger and larger and we can't, we can't possibly even conceive of the expanse. No, I know it's, it's hard. Oh, because if, you're, if, you're, if you're a seeker of truth and you like having answers it, they're but, just you know, the truth is they want to say the answer is Elvis, right? They want you to say, right. I want to have dinner with fucking Elvis. And it's like, that's not sure. I would be thrilled to have dinner with Elvis and talk to him about his life. But like, that's not really like, if you're going to like, that's not really the honest, earnest answer. And that's what I'm saying. I get it my own way. Like I have to answer it honestly. But you're doing, but when you do the math in your head, when you're doing like junket style stuff and you're like, what's the simplest way to just sort of, End this conversation. <laughs> I, there, the, um, there's a uh, uh, a guy named BJ Novak who's a writer, comedian, great yeah. guy. Worked in the office, and he uh, he had a he had a great joke about if I could have dinner with someone alive or dead. If I could have dinner with anyone alive or dead, I would choose alive. Like it was just, <laughs> it was just a great like two line joke, you know, just one of those simple like. I was right there the whole time. I don't know how to do those, you know? It's, it's, yeah. It's, I, and I think if you try to go too weird, then they don't know where to go with it because they're like, is she fucking around? Is she serious? We don't right. want to. Then you're a crazy person. Yeah, you're exactly. Crazy person. Exactly. Because I feel like a lot of actors are, like, a lot of people are really funny. Like, you're really funny. In the context of like a junket interview, though, the context does not necessarily provide you the runway for the interviewer and the audience to know like oh they're just fucking around like they're just having fun it just yeah or are they i think there's a certain kind of funny that comes with like one-liners people who are just really good at snappy one-liners like they they're in the moment and they can come up with a snappy one-liner and i i i'm a I don't do that. Like I, I can tell you a long rambling story that's hilarious if you trigger a memory in me and it comes up, but I, I, it's not going to work in that environment. So then that becomes a problem. And then I just look like a, a person who can't complete a sentence. <laughs> I mean, there's no easy way to do these kinds of yeah. things though, because you have five minutes. It, fe- yeah. you know what it is? The fucking that stuff feels like a pop quiz. It just sort of feels yeah. like like they're trying to trick you. It's like an SAT. Like you have to, it's better if you answer than not answer like on the SATs. <laughs> yes. At least take a shot at it. Take but a then, shot at it. Cause you're going to get a mark against you if you get it wrong. So you might as well answer. Yeah. But then, but then the other side of it is that if you are, if you do take a big swing, like let's say at an interview or like, well, I'm going to go to Reno and open an alpaca farm. Then all of a sudden it becomes this weird story. Like Lisa Edelstein's. <laughs> Vegan Edelstein wants to torture alpacas. I was just, I mean, <laughs> not a real, uh, how could, that was so ridiculous. How could you think that was a real thing? It was so <laughs> ridiculous. Come on. And and so are you, so you're, the the bulk of the press you're doing right now is for Kaminsky Method, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, it, you did such a great career, not just creatively because of all the different things that you do, but you've also been on a lot of really cool shit. I mean, I think the first time you did Talking Dead and uh, we talked, I, I think I probably, I, I think I probably exposed my house fandom to you. Yes, you did. That's right. Without trying to go too over the top because, you know, uh, but it was. That you know. show has a lot of, a lot of lovers. It does. It does. It, it makes it, each one feel like they're the only one. Like, well, you know, like the, there's when 
when you're sitting around or if you're stressed or whatever in your house or you don't know what to do, there's nothing like a really good, clever procedural show, you know, just like a good where the characters are strong and it's, it's cheeky, but fun and, but serious. And then, and then there's this mystery that, you know, at the end of 42 minutes, running time is probably going to get solved, you know? So it just, there's something that's so comforting to our, our, our primitive brains that just likes to see things just wrap up. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Take you on an emotional journey and give you somewhere to land at the end. Do you have a preference as a performer between like self-contained story or like longer arc? Does it, does it change how you approach anything? Is that a dumb question? No, it's not a dumb question. There's not a lot of self-contained stories anymore. I mean, I guess sitcoms were always sort of self, self-contained. Um, but nowadays, I think people are used to streaming and they're used to binging. So they need a through line. So even with House, there, was, there were cases. But I really, really wasn't involved in a lot of the cases. So my story was a through line story which was my relationship with house and my relationship with the hospital. I, I love that because I think that mimics life more. Um, uh, And it, it's a easier turn to take when you're a guest star, you always have to do those sharp turns. So you're a guest star in anything. There's a, you're there for a reason. And that reason is to take the main character through this story. And that story needs to end at the end of the episode. And so you get these like, like I did an arc, um, oh God, it was after Ally McBeal. It was a lawyer show, not the not the practice, Boston but legal. what did you, I couldn't Boston, hear Boston Legal. Boston Legal, and that was starring, what's his name? Better. Yes, so I'm, I'm playing his love interest. Now, I had played a trans woman on Ally McBeal, which was a really wonderful experience that would never happen today but in those days it was great to have a trans character even though a female was playing it um then they asked me to do this role and this role was to play a woman who could not speak she could speak she was terrified to speak so she frequently like spoke in as few words as possible and she was having this romance with the main character but to finish the storyline a few episodes later, she had to explain everything that had happened. <laughs> so suddenly I've been playing this person who doesn't talk and now I've got three paragraphs to explain the entire storyline. And that's the kind of stuff that I, I find to be incredibly challenging to do. You see it on Law & Order all the time, these wonderful actors and all of a sudden they're doing a monologue of why they did it. Um, oh my God, yeah. I, it's I, the I, worst. I hate doing those. Yeah, I, I can't remember who else I was talking to about this very thing about you you can you cannot underestimate the challenge of a one episode arc guest star on any of these shows because listen, not that it's not hard work, but if you're, you know, if you're the D, you know, if you're Jack McCoy or if you're you know, one of the cops or whatever, you know, your character, you kind of, you like, you, you know how they're going to react to stuff. They just sort of come in and go objection, your honor, uh, you know, circumstantial. <laughs> and then they go, Oh, sustained, you know, but to have that person that has to completely convey their entire character in. And I did one once on. Also never, yeah. And it's also never written as richly because the writers don't know you when they write it and they don't, they're never going to see this person again. So you have to find a way of inhabiting it where it doesn't feel 
totally fake, but yeah. So you did one on CSI. What did you play? I play, I was a red herring on CSI where like it's, I it, like I was the character where I get taken in for questioning too early in the body of the show. So, you know, like, well, it's not gonna be this guy. They right. think it's this guy, but it's clearly going to be someone else that he's, it's not going to be the obvious. And that's exactly what happened. And it was, right. you know, it was, you know, it was me opposite like Marg Helgenberger where I'm like, well, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of picked up that, you know, I was just that, I was just that guy. I was just that guy. Right. And so how to be, how do you be that guy, which is so nonspecific, but make him a specific human being? Like it is yeah. really challenging. It is yeah. really, it's a whole art form to be a guest star on those procedural like, shows. Like all the character, you know, he's probably not the best person in the world, but he probably didn't commit the murder. You know, it's right. like probably not capable of that. He'll probably like, you know, lift your wallet or something, but he's not, he didn't kill anybody. Right. So. Exactly. It's one of those, but yeah. And, and that's where I kind of wonder where if, um, where theater comes into play, where it's just like where you're really inhabiting these really rich characters and you have to learn very quickly how to create a fully formed character within the tapestry of an ensemble cast yeah. and still manage to. But theater is different because theater, uh, you get you go on the same journey every night. Every time you do the play, you go on the same journey, but the journey's never the same. So right. I think what's interesting about theater is how it changes and allowing for that, allowing for that breath of life every night, even though you've done this over and over and over again. It's it's fascinating because it's mind bending because so much more can happen when you think you have it and you think, you know, it. something will surprise you along the way. And, and for actors that surprise, that moment of surprise, when you are surprised by your own reaction to something in the middle of a fictional piece of material, it's really, it's like the most euphoric state you could be in. Um, I, I, it's happened to me at auditions. It's happened to me at auditions for parts I didn't even get because I wasn't right for them. But like that moment where you know something real happened, something genuine happened, and the whole room felt it is is thrilling. It's absolutely thrilling. And I think theater gives you an opportunity in a way that you don't have on film and television because you're breaking it up so much. Um, that is really unique. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
Do you have you directed theater before? No, no. That to me feels like a because you know because when you're directing film and television, you really are. You're not just directing the story and the performers, but you're also directing what you're directing the what people are seeing. But when you're yeah. directing a play, it's people can be focused on anything. So you're kind <clears> of <throat> well. What's interesting? It's interesting to say that because I just I just did a play. Um, that was on Zoom. Uh, that was through the Steppenwolf Company uh, for a fundraiser for the Actors Fund, which is this amazing organization that uh, does great work. Um, the director, this woman, Anna Shapiro, she, uh, we were talking about how do you do a Zoom play? How is it even interesting to watch? And she said, as a theater director, your job is to make people think they're looking at something because they just happen to see it, but you're actually directing them to see it. So it's like so, a magician. Like a, it's, know, like it's a, a magician. It's, it's a magic trick. You're pulling things forward and back in a different way than you do on film. On film, you cut to that. Um, but but I, I thought that that's really interesting, and it's funny that you, you, you put it that way. It's just like a magician. You're sort of kind of making people think it was their idea to focus right. on. Which, right, but you are pulling their attention. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, oh isn't that beautiful? I love that. Do you like the? Do you like directing? Uh, like directing film? Television. You said you're going to direct a movie, but do you like the process of it? When you talk about like all of the stuff that you have to do to get to do the thing that you really want to do. Are yeah. You the two things. Uh, well, I've directed three things now. Um, the first one was Girlfriend's Guide, and I it was my first and I was with a crew that I loved that loved me and working with actors that I loved that loved me. So I was very, very safe. Um, And so what I felt there was more just about the organization that it takes and the multitasking that it takes and understanding that, Oh, I actually, this is who I am. Like I am the multitasker. I actually have an answer to all your questions, even if it's the wrong answer, but I have one. Um, uh, uh, So so yeah, I I did really enjoy, and then the next two projects that I did were short films that I created, one that I was in and one that I was not in. Um, um, uh, yes, I I'm still learning about directing. I'm still I think you're always learning about this stuff. Acting I've been doing for so long, I'm still learning there too. But it's I have a I can land in it in a way that directing I'm I'm getting still getting my feet wet. I feel like. Um, learning how to think visually, learning how to like tell your story and now retell your story visually. When I was writing this script, first I wrote it for the story and then I wrote it as an actor. I was like, okay, I'm an actor. I'm playing this part. Do I want to play this part? Um, And then I went through each role to make sure that when, if I got sides of all the scenes of this character, would they be people that I recognize? Do I, does this person feel like they have a past? Does this person feel like when they walk onto the screen, it's because they walked off somewhere else? That's what I want to feel. Um, and I want to know who they all are. So then I rewrote it as a director, like, uh, do I, is this, is the, are the acts moving right? Or is it all put together in the right way? Like thinking, thinking in a new way, thinking visually. Um, so each, and then you write it for budget. <laughs> like, right, I can't possibly tell this story unless I had eight, $800 million. So how do I, how do I compress it? And all of those steps um, have been really exciting for me because I feel like they, they, if you approach them right, they they all make your story better because they all force you to, to shave, 
to keep shaving, to keep chipping away at the stone and finding your sculpture in the middle. So it's been, it's been really exciting and fun to, to have that. Yeah. The, 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 the sometimes the, the, those roadblocks are the, where the most creative inspiration comes from. And it, it, it kind of makes me think of home renovation shows in a way where it's like, right. I'm others, well, the people go, well, we want, we'd like a, okay, so we need three bedrooms. We definitely need three and a half bathrooms. We need a big space for a kitchen, but also a den and we need a basement and also a pool. And they'll go, okay. And then they'll show them like their ideal house and they go, this is great. And they'll go, great. It's $4 million. And people are like, what the fuck? And they go, well, these are all the things you want. So we're going to figure out how to creatively give you what you want, but within the constraints that, that you have. And I always it's such a great metaphor for life because we have, I think it's good to wish list because yeah. it gives you a, it's like, okay, if we can't necessarily have this ideal thing that's ideal in our heads, how can we get, how can we get? What is it that we want really? What is yeah. it that you really want? And then get to the core of that. What is it that you really need when you're, when you need that big fancy thing that you're talking about? Listen, it's like child rearing. You know, you you, if you give, if you give children no boundaries, they, they, it fucks them up. It actually right. isn't good parenting. Right. Um, you, you have to give people boundaries to push against. And, and it's in that pushing that you learn what it is you really need, what it is you, what is the most basic part of what you need, the seed of what you're looking for. So yeah, it's creatively really fascinating. And as an actor, I, you know, between jobs is, you know, just me brain eating. So it, it really helps to have other forms of, Exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it takes like five minutes, like, and it's a wrap, and then like five minutes later, it's like you'll never work again. (laughs) Why did you? I hope you had fun. That was your last. Your your luck just ran out. I hope you enjoyed it. (laughs) They're all gonna see. They're all gonna find out. You know. Why would you ever, who will ever hire you again? And then it's like, hey, Lisa, do you want to go play? The, oh, yeah, sure, great. You oh, know? my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, yeah. I, think there's a, I think there's a healthy balance. It's like you don't want too much of that, but a little bit of that, a little bit of that I think is good because it sort of keeps you appreciative and it keeps yeah. you motivated, you know, um, as opposed to, uh, you know, like you, you – you never, you never want to come from a place where you expect it because yeah. then it's, I don't know, maybe it's not as exciting or it just, or you, it comes from a different place in you. And so you're, what you bring to it is I different. I don't know. I've never had that experience. <laughs> I mean, very few people that I've ever talked to have ever said like, oh yeah, I feel totally entitled, dusted all the time. You know, yeah. it's, but it's so interesting because, you know, even if you are somebody who has had massive success, success that like the kind I've never seen where it's like you are scheduled five jobs in a row, like, you know, your next five jobs, um, it's going to go away. Like it's going to change um, yeah. because everything changes always. Um, and so, you know, learning how to like when I was when I was a teenager, I got really famous for no reason in New York in the in the club scene. And and it was it was terrifying because it was fame for no reason. Right. So it actually was uh, something I had to recover from rather than something that I could really enjoy. That's so interesting. And this was in a pre-social media era. Right. So, uh, 
so it was an interesting experience of celebrity uh, because it was pure, pure celebrity and nothing else, right? Nothing to back it up. Then when I actually started working, um, I ended up, I did my, I wrote my musical. I did that. And I got that musical. I got it produced because I had had this bout of celebrity that made them interested enough to at least give me an opportunity. And that opportunity t- turned into a, a full production. Um, then I had a show on MTV, which I hated. And I, I, I was embarrassed by, I called it four hours a day, five days a week of national humiliation. So now I'm, I'm, I'm famous for something I'm embarrassed about. Um, so my, so my second bout of celebrity is also like this kind of negative experience where like people are recognizing me and I'm thinking I'm, I'm, I'm like embarrassed when they recognize me, like, Oh God, they know I'm that person that's on that show. Um, but at the same time, I started to expect to be recognized and it was an interesting, I could observe it in myself because I wasn't attached to it. Right. So I was like, wow, like a little kid walks by and goes, ah, like, cause I'm wearing a bright colored shirt. And then you think kid knows who I am. And then you realize I'm a monster. That's a three-year-old. <laughs> they like my pink shirt. Oh my God, go home. You need to get some sleep, whatever. Um, so by the time I get, you get to being on house, which was like this mega hit at the time, you know, biggest show in the world, people chasing us down the street, like really bizarre experience of celebrity, but at least for something I was, I was proud of at that point, I was like, right. There are things about this experience that are really interesting and fun. Um, I can, you know, designers want me to wear their clothes or uh, uh, people that I respect, respect me, or suddenly when you're, when you're that well-known, you're like funnier and prettier and more interesting than you ever were like five minutes before, even though you're exactly (laughs) the same. Um, And and the thing is, you, you know, that it's because of my experiences previously, I was like, and this too will pass. You know, like, so enjoy this experience for the things that are enjoyable, because there are also things that are not enjoyable, like stalkers and bad press and whatever, whatever. We all know it if we've been in the public eye. Um, But you know that it will also change again. And so how learning how to separate your identity from the identity that uh, is put upon you by the outside world is is kind of vital to your survival. Wow, that is so beautifully and eloquently put because it's, I mean, and it certainly applies to anything, particularly this business, but also particularly, you know, people in general now that everyone has a kind of fame because of social media, you know, or the potential for recognition and fame very quickly because of of social media. Yeah, and those people, they monetize it, which is Well, yeah, and also also a system that not only... um, that that incentivizes and kind of exploits the idea of outside worth. In other words, the the amount of hearts or likes you get for something, it's incentivized in our yeah. culture. And 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 why would a gener- why would generations of people not be conditioned to think my worth is this number that is how many yeah. people, you know, when it's so mercurial and it's algorithmic and it doesn't really mean anything and it shouldn't mean anything anyway, but it's still, but it it has an effect. You can't help it. And you have to know, like when you're in it, like when you're at one of those high moments, you're like, this is having an effect on me. This is going to be painful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's going to hurt. It's either going to hurt because it'll be ripped away or it'll be hurt because it'll fade away. Um, But so you, it's like this weird relationship with it where you have to allow for that, 
to just be what it is and not make it why you're there. Why not make it the reason for being there to really focus on the work that you're doing and make that what you love. Also, because it could be real, it's, it could be potentially really stressful for Mm -hmm. the people who achieve that because then they don't want to lose it, you know? And then it's like, how do I maintain or sort of like, excuse me, what you were saying, finding yourself in the midst of this celebrity storm that you, that, you said was just sort of random based on, you know, not anything of substance. And so, which I still don't know what that, I, I, I do want to ask you about it, but if you feel like talking about it, but, but just the, that idea of, um, uh, of how do you, how do you be okay with the extremes, either the extreme bad or the extreme good and not be too defined by it. And I guess that is the ultimate secret of, you know, that's just the ultimate secret of everything. Right. Right. <laughs> how, do you, how do you be an observer? Like you said, an observer to your, an observer to your thoughts and experiences rather than being sort of dragged around by them emotionally. Well, I, I think like, I, I think my, what I'm saying is that you can't, you, you can't escape the response, the reaction you're going to have. Like there is no getting out of it. Right. <laughs> you know, what we want to do with our lives is very outward, outward facing, you know, acting, uh, hosting, all that stuff. Um, And that comes with a price. Um, And sometimes the price is really hefty. Um, uh, But what we get out of it when we're in it is so exciting that we just have to know, like, these both, both sides of this coin are real. And if you're aware of it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you get away from it. It just means that you get to say, right here, I am here now. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, it's still, I'm in the center of all this. This is the experiences that I'm having around it. And I think it's like a survival mechanism to, to find that, to have to really find that core and know why you're here um, and what, not here, like alive, because that's, again, my dinner party question for somebody to please explain right, right. Um, but like w- why you're doing what you do. And as long as you can get back to the core of what you love and what drives you, then, then you'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, there've been a few people that I've ever talked to where I felt where I, I seem like, oh, they are, and it's a very small number where like, no matter what, they're just a centered, you know, sort of rare in the performer sphere. You know, it's like, you know, whether or not yeah, but that's just what they're showing you. I mean, nobody that, is. That, that Come on. I mean, nobody becomes a performer because they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the quote of the book. Becomes a performer because they're fine. <laughs> I was like, my my parents just moved here and they downsized, and so I got all these photographs. And like, I'm going. My dad literally like handed me like three thousand photographs. So I was like, I am gonna organize these photographs. And I'm gonna get rid of stuff we don't need. So I was getting rid of anything that didn't have somebody in the immediate family in it. Yeah. Um, because I don't, we don't need to carry on pictures of their best friends, you know, for, for the next two generations, somebody's going to know who they are. Right. Um, uh, so I'm going through these pictures. There's like, I'm making three piles. I'm making a pile for my sister to keep, a pile for my brother to keep, and a pile for me to keep. 
my sister's pile is just getting bigger and bigger. She's the oldest. It's like beautiful photographs from, you know, they lived in Japan, they're in Brooklyn, like gorgeous pictures, you know, infant, nursing, baby, like, I mean, so pretty. Then my brother, he's a middle child, um, lots and lots of pictures of my brother, like big, big pile, my brother, heavy box, sending it to my brother. I'm the last kid. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, motherfucker, this is why I get professionally photographed. <laughs> I, I am photographed more as an adult than either one of those human beings because the, my pile is so pathetic. Oh. And most of it is is repeats. Most of it is like, oh, that was a good one. So there's 18 copies of it. <laughs> so, by, so by the third child, the parents are like, you know what? Exhausted. They're exhausted. It's not cute anymore. It's like, yes, she's a fucking baby. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, they, like they throw up on themselves. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. It's adorable. Oh, great. She's talking. <laughs> what does she have to say? Oh, another opinion. <laughs> oh, she just chewed gum for the fur. We all, it's fine. It'll <laughs> be fine. Yeah, it's, I, I, I do, you know, we start talking about pictures though now where we have infinite, like, yeah. we have infinite store, infinite store, but basically infinite storage, infinite number of shots. And I think about how we become, we are such collectors now. It's like, oh, I got to take pictures everywhere. How often do you ever sit down and scroll back and go, oh, 2011, look at that. Oh, what was, you know, like, never. it's very rare. I think like, that's why iPhotos does that memory thing, just I, so I that people this. Keep yeah, wanting to take pictures. Yeah, yeah, okay, great. I, I don't have time right now. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny, though. That's so funny. And, and we're, but you were able to preserve whatever was left for the yeah. Edelman Museum. Yeah, it's the Edelstein Museum. I, there are some really amazing pictures of my parents when they were young. Like I've got their childhood photos. And it's like, I found a I found a picture of a soldier with a little note to my mother in the back. Well, <laughs> I was like, excuse me. I sent him <laughs> and it says something like the absence makes the heart grow fonder. So, but she insists it was nothing. She insists. My dad gave me a book that he had where he actually listed the women he was interested in, um, including their, the numbers that he gave them from one to 10. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> my mother was a seven. <laughs> Does she know this? Yes. Yes. Are your parents funny? Yeah, they're very funny. They're very funny. They're dry, dry humor. They're also, you know, just old Jews, which comes it comes with funny. <laughs> and when you moved to New York, were you? Did you grow up in New York? I grew up in New Jersey, and then I moved to New York. Yeah, and then you, and then you moved to New York, and then you yeah. found yourself in this weird. How does someone get famous in the club scene in New York at that time? Uh, so by the time I actually lived there, I, I was really curious about that world. And I met uh, my friend, James St. James, who was James Clark at the time. Um, and he had been obsessed. He was like a gay kid growing up in a really, uh, like conservative environment. And he just wanted to explode out of the world he'd grown up in. And, um, he had studied that scene, like read every episode, every, every issue of, 
of all the magazines about that world. This is like the downtown club scene, like kind of the tail end of the Warhol world, the mud club and um, uh, just not studio, the opposite of studio. So, um, so when I met him, he was like, we've got, you got to go out with me. Um, so we started going to clubs and he had a whole plan. He was like, we're going to get, we're going to get everybody to know who we are in this scene. And then we can do whatever we want in life because we'll be famous. <laughs> so interesting. That's such yeah. the, that's, that's when you're, when you're young, that's what you think. You just think like right. the recognition that'll and just. And it was, the funny thing was, so like, he, and he had, he had techniques so we would do these experiments where we would, first of all, you, you can't even get in. So I, I, we got, we were weird enough that we actually got into the clubs and young enough that nobody expected $10 at the door from us because we didn't have it. Um, so we did get in that, that much we did. And then James would have us do exercises like you go that way, I'll go that way. And then we have to ask if anybody's seen the other one for the whole way through the really crappy <laughs> Oh my God, you guys are doing like a, it's almost like a branded in real life media campaign. Right. So like by the time you get to the other side of the club, everyone knows your name. Oh my God, I never would have thought of that. <laughs> You're so, creating like that's a- That's the one I remember. I don't remember, but there were more exercises like that. It was, I was like, sure, I'll do whatever. Um, and so uh, we ended up like- people started taking our pictures because we sort of became part of that world to support the expected part of the world. Um, And then it just sort of escalated from there. Uh, Actual social media, like that is socializing. Yeah. Actual social media. And the funny thing is like, so for me, like when the New York times, Maureen Dowd did this big piece called Lisa in Wonderland. And, um, and it, they followed me around for a day and they, they wrote about this whole life. Um, so for me, the funny thing was, was it actually did exactly what James had said it would do, which was it suddenly I was the celebrity. Um, and then ultimately it is the reason why I was able to at least get my play in a workshop at this wonderful theater in New York. Right. Um, so he wasn't wrong. But what but the piece that he was missing was how painful that process would be. Like when when that article came out in the New York Times, my phone number and address were listed. So I had like 40 stalkers. Like I was in actual danger. Um, and then and then I had a lot of resentment because there was really no reason for me to be famous because the truth was I was the least interesting person at the club. Like there were really legitimately interesting people at that club but I was like an easily palatable cute young girl that like could be people could relate to in the larger world so perhaps that's why I would I don't know I I'm, maybe that's too denigrating to myself but but I was certainly more palatable than perhaps some of the other people there that were far more interesting so so there was resentment and then there was like rumors and gossip and like all this stuff and none of it felt good um, and all of it made me retreat. Um, but in that retreating, I got to the core of what I wanted, right? It was what we were talking about with celebrity. And in that retreat, I was like, what is really happening in my world? What's really happening in my world is that I'm at three to four memorial services a week that everybody I know is dropping fucking dead. Like I, so I, I volunteered for gay men's health crisis. 
I took this course that they were giving to teach you about the disease. It was like a 27 hour course because I had taken this course. People found out about it. People I knew from the clubs were like pulling me into bathrooms to show me sores in their mouth or on their arms to find out if they were dying because nobody had any information. People I grew up with in New Jersey thought it was government hype, thought they were making it up, you know? So like now I'm, now I'm in pain. I'm like trying to hide, but in that pain, I am the creative person that I am at my core. And and all of that became, oh, I'm going to write about this. And then I wrote my musical, which was about AIDS awareness and how people were in denial. And it was a comedy, but it was about AIDS, but uh, and a musical, but about AIDS. Um, and, um, and that saved my life, you know? And so that, then I did that at La Mama. Um, and then things continued on. And so in a way, like, that's what I'm saying, like always going back to that core, even in, in suffering. And we've all been through that. If we're in the public eye, like that, that's where the, the juice is. That's where you remember who you are. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMed's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMed's offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. Wow, what an incredible thing to learn at a young age about how yeah. you know, empty the fame is, but then to really see how important that you can have an impact on something that's so important to humanity. This Right, and that kind of fame is okay. Like that, it's still going to come with a lot of garbage, but, but you can stand behind what you're doing and you're actually doing something. You're doing something for other people. And it's not just for the empty pursuit of your own, you know, inflation, your own identity inflation, which is, you know, I mean, like, and and sometimes it can take people decades to learn that lesson. Yeah. I was really lucky with that. I was really, really fortunate to have that experience. It, It shaped my whole life for sure. So it's so funny because your ego is such a fucking asshole because it, it, it can be an asshole because you can, you can kind of go through those moments where you, you learn, you can learn a lesson like that. And then, you know, and then the next time, then your ego goes, no, I look this time, it's going to be different. You got it this time. Don't even worry. You know, and then you could, you know, you could feel all those awful things again and go, God damn it. I knew. And I still gave into the ego stuff. No, no, but this time's going to be, you know, yeah. But it, but it really sounds like you were, you had, you were so grounded by this, 
you know, by this very incredibly real. I was grounded in the sense that like I was mushed into the ground. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I, I, I could, I, I I didn't have a choice. It was like, it was a survival thing. Like I, I know I want to be this person, this creative and expressive person. How do I survive this? And you see there, I, I know what you mean. There are people out there who are just really, they feel like unaffected by the sort of ride. I'm not one of those people. I'm deeply affected by it. I'm not either. And I, and I almost think someone either has to be the most healthy and balanced person in the world, maybe a little sociopathic. Like, I, I, you know, like yeah. you know, it could, yeah. be, could be both, you know, like, or, or one or the other. I don't know. But, but I think it sounds like what you learned is that it's important to pursue things that are meaningful. It's important to pursue yeah. things. And it's funny, you know, I've been lucky enough. I'm sure I've had a lot of different kinds of jobs, but I've had a lot of meaningful jobs. You know, I got to play, I got to play Rhonda Roth on Relativity, who was like the first lesbian out lesbian who had an active love life on network television, who actually had the first makeout scene on network television. That's awesome. Playing a trans woman on Allie McBeal, even though now it would not be, not be correct. But that back then, that was awesome. Playing a sex worker who was intelligent and taking care of herself. That was awesome. Like, so there have been those opportunities along the way um, that have been really meaningful. I mean, and also not only just all of the different roles that you've been able to play, but also just all the different things that you've been able to do. Yeah. You know, like it's uh, like, if I can't, like, if I came to your house and you, and your house was full of paintings and you were like, I did all these paintings, I would be, I would probably feel like I totally get it. Like this totally trapped <laughs> with everything. <laughs> and so that's why I say like, it seems like you're this sort of creative supernova, this artistic supernova, because it, it, it seems like, you know, any way that you can try to kind of express things that you're feeling in different and creative and innovative ways seems to be appealing to you. You seem to be, so I guess my question is for, for people who sort of, um, cause I, I, I think the days of telling someone to just do one thing, are right. sort of, I think it was like sort of like our parents' generation idea, you know, right. Right. and now I think it's perfectly acceptable to, to dabble or to try and to do a lot of different things. I feel like, I feel like there's still usually one thing that you can sell. And then there's a lot of other things. Um, like not everything's for sale. So right. like one time I made jewelry, you know, 35 years ago, I made a bunch of jewelry. I was taking it to a store who was interested in selling it. I got so sick to my stomach. I went home oh, no. but then I did my play. You know what I mean? So I, I think some things are for sale and some things are not for sale. Um, but especially in our business, you're always, you don't have control over when you're working next. Um, so there's a lot of time between sometimes. And I have found that if, especially during COVID, I learned this really, I remembered it, not even learned it. I remembered it, that I had been neglecting that part of myself, which isn't good for my state of mind. Um, that it's, that if I'm not writing, I should be drawing. And if I'm not drawing, I should be reading or memorizing or acting or, you know what I mean? Like I, I should constantly be, um, or watching movies or doing something that's like sort of feeding me creatively. And, and that's not because I'm like, uh, that's not just because of ambition, but of course I am ambitious to always continue to work and get better at what I do, but it's, it's also about mental health. It's definitely about mental health because it, I completely understand because it's that thing you said before about the brain eating, the brain eating. Yeah. yeah. 
Like if you're a storyteller, your brain excels in story creation. And, and so, some of those stories are not very nice. That's exactly right. And so when you're not expressing that through whatever type of storytelling, whether it's painting, sculpting, writing, you know, directing, like whatever sort of creative endeavor allows you to tell your stories, the yeah. story, your stories, other people's stories, any stories, then what's your brain going to do? It's going to go, you know, when you don't yeah. eat, your body starts to feed on itself. So when yeah. your brain isn't uh, Being applied, then it's gonna, then it's gonna start feeding on your own. And it's yeah. like, but that's really dangerous because the, the, you know, when you don't have the ability to be the observer to your thoughts or be the, you know, kind of look at it as like, okay, my brain's trying to do this thing. I don't have to listen to it. Right. It's so easy to get lulled into like, oh, I guess this is just the way it is because. But also in the age of social media, you know, you can get into the comparison game, which is also a very dangerous game. Uh, I remember I I saw somebody I hadn't seen in a long time. They were like, well, obviously your life is going great. (laughs) Like, wait, have you been just looking at my Facebook page? Exactly. I don't post bad things on my Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you know, it's it's hard. It's edited. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you're not, you know, those, you know, it's not like you post a thing and go brain eating again, you know, like yeah. not, people are with you every second of the day. Right. So no, it's funny. Like my husband is a painter; he's incredibly talented, and um, his his work is amazing. And when he stops working, he does the same thing. Like so, we both have to we recognize it in each other, and it, it, and it's great because we understand it, and it's also great that we're not the same kind of artist. Um, so we're not dealing with the exact same pressures, but we're, we are dealing with the same kind of brain. You understand, like, even yeah. though your opinions are different, you still under, you still understand. Yeah. Is there a particular type of endeavor that is more fulfilling to you than others? Or is it just sort of like this, you know, this month it's this next month, it could be that, you know, the month after, or is there something that you like? I mean, type of work or type of directing or drawing or writing or acting like is there a thing Um, well I definitely I love acting and what's exciting right now is creating content um to act for either me or somebody else I love the idea of giving other people jobs too um I I love telling stories no matter how I get to do it so I'm never I'm never done like I don't know how you feel but I I still get excited walking onto a studio lot like oh yeah I like seeing someone in half a costume going by on a golf cart is the most romantic thing in the world to me. Like, uh, you know, I get mad at productions that I'm not in, <laughs> you know, like, you're, you're right by my house. I live here. God, I like, could have just walked. I literally could have walked to work. <laughs> what are you guys thinking? I don't care if it's about 12 year olds. <laughs> I'm versatile. I can play 12. I'm versatile. (laughs) What do you want? Yeah, I know it is. It is. I I definitely, I definitely feel that way too. However, I do see, I do understand, particularly with comedy, you know, because when you're a touring comedian, there's a lot that goes with that. You know, it's like to get to, to get to, to get to do that hour ish time on stage there's, you know, it's the travel and the radio, morning radio and the all the press and then the trying to, you know, now you can be a marketer to make sure people are going to show, you know, so like there's a lot of around. And I and I always used to uh, I always used to think, God, why do you, you know, why do so many comedians like when they get older, they just kind of stop. And it's like, oh, because it is an exorbitant amount of energy to do the thing that you want to do. So I understand. I I think that's why I'm sort of fascinated lately with the. All the stuff I feel like comedy, though, stand-up comedy, um, 
I think something happens to people as they get older and it's really hard to hold on to their comedy. You get less hungry because it's a very, it's a, it's a hunger driven, whether that hunger is for Yeah. Anything. Unless like, I, I think it just needs to change and it's hard, very hard for a comedian to change because they're expected to do this thing that they came in doing. Um, right. So like, yeah. Kind of a bit, but, but, but I think it, but I, but I really do think it's sort of the, I think you just get comfortable. You get complacent. Right. Like, I don't need to go do five shows. I don't really feel like getting on a plane and going and like the, the shows are great. I mean, it even happens some, it even happens, but like one of the reasons why I actually don't perform in Los Angeles that often, because it's like, God, you know, cause you can't really do long sets. And it's like, am I going to get in my car and go find parking and wait an hour to do 15 minutes to then like get in my, and sit in traffic. And it's like three hours to do 15 minutes. And when you're a young comedian, of course, yes, the answer is yes. Yeah. Have to. And you're so driven to do it. But as you get older, you're just like, I don't like if I'm doing the class benefit analysis, I don't, <laughs> you know, but some people just need to be on stage every single day or they don't feel alive. And I'm just, yeah. I love performing, but I don't feel like if I'm not on stage, I don't exist. I just like, I just love it. You know? Yeah. That's, yeah. So. But if you went a really long time without getting any attention in that way, you would, you would start to feel that. Well, but and that's what the pandemic's been, but for some reason, I was able to just hibernate because that. nobody was doing it True. because you couldn't compare. You were, you couldn't get into the comparison game. Like, but if you're sitting, if the world is really super active and you're sitting in your house for a year, like it's, you would feel it. Yeah, I, know. But I, I yeah. had friends who were comedians who were just making a ton of content during pandemic and they, you know, jumped on TikTok and they started making all these funny videos and I would go, huh, I probably should be doing that. <laughs> I know what you mean. I don't feel like I just, you know why? Because I think for me, it's, and I'm not saying this is true for them. For me, it felt less of a creative enterprise and more of a like, oh, I got to stay relevant. I got to make yeah. it. And I was like, yeah. I don't really feel motivated by that. Like if I feel like yeah. making something, I will. I don't feel like it right now. And so I won't. And that's yeah. kind of- And also it, it was a big deal what we went through Absolutely. and everybody reacted to it differently. Absolutely. I know my friend Nadia and I did a couple of like, Instagram lives, but like way at the end of the pandemic, like like a year too late. <laughs> we were like, wow, we should have done this 12 months ago. But I I I I just didn't want to, I just is not for me. I was like, that was really fun. I don't want to talk about myself that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe in a year, excuse me, in yeah. a year or, or two, I'll I'll be like the hey, what's this TikTok thing? I mean, I get what it is. It's a yeah. platform. It's great, you know, like some people really excel at it but if you know if you say to yourself like well this will get me a lot of followers and it's like right. oh, you're dead in the water but yeah. then i mean not necessarily i guess it could work but then like what's the thing that you're building you know and then i think it just goes back to the idea of like it has to be meaningful to you yeah i don't know um i just want to make sure when i know this is coming out because uh i want to make sure that i mention this is going up in june okay uh, Make sure I know when Kaminsky method is. <laughs> Kaminsky will already be up. It goes up May 28th. Oh, Kaminsky's May 28th. And then yeah. you're doing a box show too? I was on Lone Star for the first season. I mean, for the first half of the season. And then you're preparing this movie that we can't talk about yet. Yeah. You're going to potentially direct a thing. Yeah. Are you, yeah. did you write the thing? You wrote the thing I too. wrote the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I've been in the writing thing mode. It's been great. 
Do you like being, do you, li- you obviously, it seems like you probably do like having all of the responsibility of like, you wrote the thing and you're directing the thing because you know it more intimately than it's if you handed it off to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so intimately, it's based on a book that I know so intimately. It's kind of amazing. And I, I, I love researching. Um, I find it really inspirational. Um, I'm learning all this stuff about myself as I'm writing more. When I left house, I actually wrote a, a, a script based on this historical character and I got so into the research. I learned a lot. I actually had too much of my research in the script, but it was so exciting to be able to organize my mind in that way. And there, and I use this app called Scrivener when I'm just- Oh, doing- I know, I've written on Scrivener, it's great. I love it so much. So I have like, even this book is like broken down into bits. Like, so I can, I can access my own research so easily. Um, and, uh, it really helps. I don't write the script on Scrivener. I write that elsewhere on, um, no, but know, Scrivener is such a like thought yeah. organization program. Yeah. I, I, I it's great thought organization. It's, I've never experienced that before. I'm like, oh, right. This is, this is amazing. This is my brain in folders. Oh, it's so great. I, I wrote on it. I mean, I think oh, 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, I wrote on it. It was, I think the site is called Literature and Latte and they sell, and, and, and they, I'm pretty sure that's a company that makes Scrivener. And, oh, really? And the interface was like, they figured out, oh, let's make the interface like iTunes <laughs> where you have like, yeah. you have your list view in the sidebar and then yeah. everything else is just organized in this really great. I don't use the whole, I don't, I still don't use corkboard. There's like a lot of things I don't use on it, but, um, but I should, I should get better at it. I, but in terms of like the way it's organized on the left side, um, it's so great for me. And like writing, be able to have referencing like with two screens. I mean, it's so useful. It's so useful. Well, I think, I think, you know, one of the things that you learned early on and that you've continued to do is just sort of ask yourself with each thing, like, what is meaningful to me about this or how is this meaningful to me? And I think that's a great takeaway mm-hmm. for people who are pursuing, you know, especially the creative arts, but anything yeah. really is like, what is meaningful about this or can I make this meaningful in some way? Yeah. And obviously there are things that we have to do, we don't always have the luxury of like, I'm oh, do sure. you- and that's the meaning of it. Like, oh, I don't have the luxury to not do this. That's what the meaning is right now. I need to pay my rent. Like, that's also valid. Right. Um, but, but you do want to curate your life. You do want to make sure that you are fighting for the life you were asking for because, because you'll get a lot of opportunities along the way that aren't the life you want. Like after I did MTV, I got a lot of offers to do other shows like that show that I was so embarrassed about. Um, They were very nice people, by the way. I loved the people that I worked with, but I just personally am not a host and I don't know. I don't feel good about that kind of work. And and, and, because I worked on MTV in the nineties too. And there was a, there was a time when, I mean, now we just know that like, Everybody does everything, but the business was very segmented where generally film people did film, network TV people did network TV, cable did cable. MTV was this weird. Yeah, it was a college radio station. Yeah, exactly. And if you were a host on MTV, it was very unlikely that anyone else would hire you for anything because it was like, oh, they're MTV kids. It's not a real thing. Right. So there was this weird curse. And then and then a handful of people started to break through, you know, like yeah. a handful of people started to really, and it did, it did all change, but there was that. Yeah. Was it took me like second. a year. It took me like a year to stop to ignore all the hosting things. And then 
And then I did Seinfeld, you know, Seinfeld, I'm mad about you. And then like, okay, now. the presence of mind to do that. And you have the presence of mind to say, who am I? What do I want? I don't want that thing. So I'm just, even though there will probably be more opportunities in this area, it's not meaningful to me. So I'm what's meaningful to me. And that really feels like it has a, it's a great lesson for anyone. And that has served you incredibly well. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Is there anything else you want to promote? Anything else you want to plug? I don't think so. No, I've got nothing else to plug. I wish I did. Brain eater, brain eater. No, I mean, listen. (laughs) Nothing else to plug. You know what's going to happen is like everyone's going to start getting really busy again. Mm. And then, and I'm not saying they're going to miss the pandemic, but I just mean miss the quietude. You know, they're just going to miss the, oh man, you know, and so. I know we're like slowly having like people over for dinner and it's felt really good, but it does at some, like at the beginning when we first started doing it after we were fully vaccinated, it was like, we had two nights planned that week and my husband wanted to do something with somebody else. I was like, that is too much. <laughs> we have two nights of seeing people. I can't do more than that. <laughs> well, we went to, uh, our first big outing was we went to a, a preview opening of Disneyland because we love Disneyland. Oh, wow. And my wife was like, we'd been vaccinated. We had been vaccinated like a month before. And my yeah. wife, I just assumed we wouldn't go. And she goes, why don't we go? It's first of all, it's going to be the safest time ever because it's yeah. like the capacity is going to be really low and they're going to be yeah. really strict with the rules. And so I was like, holy shit. And it was such a great reintroduction into also it's like Disney World, Disney introduction. Well, <laughs> that just, is hilarious. Because it was sort of like um you know, it was this thing that felt very normal for us before, but now was this like, oh my God, I didn't know if we were ever going to come back here, you know? And I went into a Starbucks for the first time a couple days ago and I'm like, oh my God, I guess I can go back into start, you know? And so it is, it's like, but it's important to kind of really make ourselves reacclimate because it's so easy to just go back in the shell and go, nope, not going to, don't, not going to do it. That's yeah. not, that's not entirely healthy. No, no, it's time. It's time to open it up again. But also things, things should have more meaning, like doing, doing more of what means something to you and less of what's fluff. Fluff. Yeah. It's finding the fluff. That's perfect. It's like, what's disposable? What's the fluff? I mean, it's it's so funny to me that you just did this with all of your photos. Yeah. What is meaningful? Like that theme has been very much a through line in this conversation. And I really love it because it, it really helps distill and simplify, you know, when you are making decisions about things, you know, I guess, I guess the extreme version is the Marie Kondo spark joy thing. Like does this thing, but, but, but the idea of like, what's meaningful, is this thing meaningful to me? And maybe I that, know, but that, it's interesting about Marie Kondo. Cause it's like, well, is joy the only meaning? Right. You know? <laughs> Sometimes it makes you sad, but it's because it's important to you. So what is, so what is the ultimate meaning? It can be anything that's meaningful to you. And maybe that's as we emerge from this, hopefully an important question that we ask as we try not to rush back to taking things for granted again, you know, of just being able to go wherever we want and do whatever we want and be around all the people, you know, <laughs> where we get to say, it's sort of like when you're young and it's like, you'll just hang out with everybody. Cause you just want to hang out with people. And then you get into your thirties and you're like, you know, do my friends, you know, like, who do I still vibe with? And then you get right. in your, you're like, okay, who, you know, like, what's the kind of life that I want? Like, who do yeah. I 
what do I really? I feel like in your in your early years, you hang out with everybody because you don't know yourself, and right. and it's exciting to sort of reflect yourself off of a lot of different kinds of people. But then in your thirties, you're like, I don't like that kind of person, or they were mean to me that time, and so you do all this like sort of rejecting of people, getting rid of them, shedding people, and then in your forties, you're like, well, hold on a second. That person was really funny. I actually was very entertained by this part of that person. I just don't like the way they handle this kind of situation. You start realizing, right, there's value to all kinds of people. They don't all have to be your best friends, um, but people can be in your life. And then now you're like, okay, I have five, I have five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got five minutes of energy to socialize. Then I feel like, I I spend it? like if the 50s are all about here I am, like me or don't, you know what I mean? Like I'm me and this is- Yeah, exactly. I mean, the fifties I think are one of the most wonderful times in a person's life. And I, I think it's, for a woman, it's like, okay, you stop getting your period. Hallelujah. Like you can't get pregnant. Um, you are no longer on like this crazy hormonal cycle every month. You are you were finally like the you you were before you started being attacked by hormones. And there's something really, and you're still young and you're like at the height of your business, whatever that is. Like you've now, you've been, you've been at it for 35 years. So you're like, this is the most powerful time in a woman's life. And of course, nobody writes about women in their fifties, <laughs> but I'm going to, um, because it really, it's like this, you're, 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 beautiful you're you you you're still capable and able and energized and ready for the world and you know a lot of shit um and uh i think that's true for people in their 50s in general you're the best lisa edelstein i i you know when i first met you when you came on the show it was like god this this person is so fucking cool and and (laughs) and i i really uh you just so many of the things you've said today are so inspiring like i really do you know, this, this, this podcast thing isn't just a thing I do just cause like, it really is an exploration of humanity and how do we learn and how do we come, how do we become better and how do we achieve, but still maintain balance and mental health. And even just the takeaway of that simple question of like, is this meaningful to me? Yeah. It cuts all that other shit out of the way. And I'm, I'm just so appreciative of it. I really, really Thank just you. want you to. Well, it's fun because we never really get to talk on, on, the, on the talking dead. Cause it's, it's not about that. No, it's not, it's <laughs> about for like two sentences. Pretend life issues like zombie. Yeah. Uh, it's not about real life issues like your own zombie brain attacking you. Exactly. Uh, so uh, yeah, but honestly, you know, anytime, you know, it's just, it's just such a pleasure, such a pleasure Thank to talk to you. Thank you so much. It's really been great. And I'm excited to hear what this thing is you're going to direct. So imagine yeah. soon and then please come back on and we'll talk about that. I love it. I love it. Good to see you. Bye, Chris. So nice to see you too. Take care. Bye. (laughs) ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate stable city on earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. 
I killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pure. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.